0: This is Board Game Squad, the show exclusively dedicated to the world of board gaming. For those who care about the meeple and who understand the sheer pleasure of sitting at a table and enjoying human interaction... dude it's your turn are you ready to meet our hosts here are adam and paul
1: welcome to board game squad podcast coming to you recorded live at pax unplugged i'm one of your hosts adam and i'm paul So we're actually going to be doing a slightly different episode today. Uh, Because we are at PAX Unplugged, we are kind of hidden in one of the corners trying to record the podcast for you guys to listen to. Uh, It is going to be a bit of an abbreviated episode today, but we're still going to be talking about games we've been playing at the convention, uh, a couple things that have been going on outside, and we're also going to be talking about Pipeline in a little more detail. So, Paul, let's, uh, let's start on your side. What have you been playing at the convention today?
2: Yeah, so I, I was mostly walking around, meeting with publishers, uh, getting demos of games. I didn't have the opportunity to play uh, much in terms of full games, but I did play a few interesting things and, and get some great demos. Uh, something that comes to mind at first is I got to play a prototype of a game called Sea of Legends. Sea of Legends is a sandbox-style board game. You play the role of a pirate, in I think it's I'm not sure if it's the Caribbean or where it's located exactly. That but type it's, of theme. It's the type sure. of thing you're yeah. you're you're you're, uh, you're in the open waters and you're a pirate, and there's all sorts of like sea creatures that can pop up and spawn, uh, and it's really interesting. So Sea of Legends is is partially app driven. So there's there's a board that you're playing on, there are cards that you are drawing that sort of dictates some of the gameplay. Uh, but the main story component of the game revolves around this app. And they, what the app does, it enables a sort of like a branching story, a little bit more freeform. The actions that the player does are managed by the app and intertwined with one another. So it makes the game more dynamic in a sense. It's very, very cool. There's, there's multiple strategies, paths to victory. Um, you play your own variable player character and things happen oh, cool. and you're responding to them and you're you're choosing what you do it's a it's a sandbox game uh, very open Due in part to the sort of the app-driven nature of it and I'm usually not the type of guy I, uh, I avoid app-driven board games um, but this is done very very well and, and there is a real need for the app because it, it, it creates those branching storylines and the interactivity the game develops dynamically as you're playing it with the different players so with the
1: app being in place then it's it's taking out a lot of the nonsense admin that would have been there had they
2: done it analog yeah but it's it's not even admin like this this the game changes oh, because okay. the app is involved and it's very very cool that's neat and you know i only saw a prototype version and everything's subject to change but um, i'm excited to see this hit kickstarter they were looking at early 2020 uh, and by early 2020 i think specifically like march okay, so cool. i'm not sure that's actually first early, quarter or first quarter that's more app. accurate because it's the late first quarter, uh, but uh, um, that's their release schedule. We're not yeah in yeah of that. no. I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Uh, that sounds really good. Yeah. That's
1: actually a theme that I would like to be able to find a game that plays really well in because I love the idea of going out and being a pirate or even a privateer and just picking up and delivering goods if it's done well. But yeah. I have yet to actually find one that. In- feels enjoyable and fun you know no, it
2: seems to me like that's that's an obvious theme that right. they would want to incorporate in board games and, and there's certainly a few right that's like a good handful yeah yeah but i i it's not as prominent as say like i don't know zombies or right And i feel like uh the hand- colonialism <laughs> right <laughs> what colonialism
1: more fun um i do feel like i have seen a handful of games board games come out with that pirate theme or just you know uh, sailing across the Caribbean and transporting goods and things like that. They are either cube pushers that are pick up and deliver, which doesn't super interest me a lot of the time or they're the other end of the spectrum where I have ships out on the table with rulers and compasses and I'm drawing on maps and it's getting a little out of control, almost like a Warhammer style game at that point. Yeah, which for sure. This sounds like a really good compromise to bring in a good chunk of the Eurogroup.
2: Yeah, no, it's it's... I'm looking forward to it and oh I didn't even mention it the minis or this, they gorgeous? This, oh yeah. they're beautiful beautiful minis. I, mean, I don't
1: normally go gaga over minis but man if it's done right and it's in the right game then that can really elevate
2: it yeah so that's so the minis are like the the monsters that are like spawning and popping oh, up and not it's, even it's not, ships. yeah there are ships okay. but and your character has a mini but I think the the main minis are like the the, uh, the monsters that are popping up. Very cool. What else did you play? Cool. Um, One of the highlights of the show, Plat Hat Games. Uh, So I got to check out. The game is Mm -hmm. called Aftermath from Plat Hat Games. Um, That sounds really familiar. Aftermath. Yes, correct. Uh, So Aftermath. uh, The premise is that uh, sort of it's post-apocalyptic. I think the humans died off, and the mice are left, and they are living in their own little societies, and they're they're foraging. There are, like, rebel groups that are popping up, and you're just trying to survive. It's it's based on the Stuffed Fables system. I was but, just going right. to ask, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's based on the Stuffed Fables system, but um, it's it's oriented... It's still a family game, but it's it's oriented more towards an adult audience instead of, like, the, oh, the, cool. the children. Uh, we had for played children. Stuffed
1: Fables at one point, tried to get my son into it. He really enjoyed it, and my wife was kind of lukewarm on it. I, I'm sorry, Maddox, if you're listening... I really did not care for it, so I never actually lobbied to bring it back out to the table, so it ended up just collecting dust on our shelf.
2: Yeah, so we, we played, like, the tutorial scenario right. for that. Um, it seemed really neat. Like, I, I could see myself getting into that. Are they um, still doing the same thing with the uh, the book being the map? Yeah, so exactly. The, page, just the, book, cool. the book the book is the map. Yep. Uh, it, it manages things very, very yeah. well. The system's a little bit more complicated, as I understand. I've actually never played stuff Fables, but... The, it's pretty straightforward. Basically, you roll a handful of dice, and those are the actions that are available to you. Obviously, a little bit more uh-huh. going on that, but that's... So this uh, is car... It's mostly car-driven. There, there, oh, okay, there, cool. there, there are dice in there. Um, there's combat. There's there's all sorts of different things that are going on, and it, it was cool. I like the lore of it. I'm, I'm a big horror movie fan, and right. I like post-apocalyptic-themed games, and... Uh, even being like a euro gamer <laughs> that's that's still appealing as a right. theme
1: what's the um what's the end game like what are you trying to accomplish is there a storyline yeah there's, or... it's, so it's a campaign game okay. so that
2: that's that's you're, you're following the campaign from from start to end and only playing the demo they probably didn't oh, i have no idea great <laughs> <laughs> right. um no worries yeah that's one to dig more into The other game, and this might be the star of what I've seen at PAX so far today, it's Quirky Circuits. I saw that sitting there, and it's,
1: I don't normally get drawn into the really cute style games, but it looked really compelling. I The the art's super cute. The art's
2: super cute. Um, Yeah, I might have to pick this one up. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, So it is pretty, a a lightweight game. Yeah. Um, so, So not my usual cup of tea. Uh, the idea is it is action programming, cooperative, and um, how do we explain it? It's, it's a little bit like the mind, so no one's able to talk. Uh, okay. You can't communicate like what you're doing. You're just putting down cards, and those cards dictate the actions that you're programming. So there's a fascinating dynamic going on, um, and all the players are asymmetric, so you have like like a robot that comes out, and that robot behaves a particular way, mm-hmm. And there's different scenarios and you're all trying to collect various items in your path. And you're all controlling the same robot. You're all controlling robot. the yeah, same okay. robot. I thought all, I caught that right. Right. I just you're make all sure. controlling the same robot. Uh, but you have no idea what the other player's putting down. And you're all somehow, you know, programming this robot with an end game uh, goal in mind and managing to do it together without messing everything up. Very uh, cool.
1: We play the mind quite a bit and we get we love that group think aspect of it because you do start to... It, it's so cheesy to say that you do start to meld minds mm-hmm. because that's absolutely not what's happening, <laughs> but you do really start to start to think on the same wavelength and start to approach the goals the same way and take similar methodologies without any communication, which is really just
2: fun and interesting to watch it develop at the well, table. To talk about the mind, the mind is, is an interesting game, and it's, I'm explaining it as the mind because you're not talking but it's not exactly the same sure so the mind you're sort of communicating by not communicating yeah so it's about the the, like the negative space in your actions like you start to put down a card and that's a cue yep and how do you react and you do sort of start to understand the other players and I I do like that my qualm with the mind is I think it's amazing with some people but if you do not have that chemistry it can flop hard this I don't think we'll have that um (laughs) Because there's a, you get a little bit more information. So it, you know what types of cards people have for the most part. Right. So there's there's a back to the card, and the back of the card sort of indicates whether it's, like, a card that makes you move forward or turn. So you have a little bit more information than you're I given betcha. in the mind. So you have a rough idea of, like, who can accomplish
1: the types of tasks. Right. But not specifically but, what they're going to be able yeah. to do. But still, okay. it's,
2: it's simultaneous action. So, like, you can put oh, down God. any number of okay. cards... you're sort of, like, rushing to put a card because you know that's the right card and you want to play it before the other player messes (laughs) up your turn. Um, And everyone's required to play a card, so that's also interesting.
1: Okay.
2: Um definitely a star of a show it, it's been getting rave reviews and I, I understand why yeah. it's good so right
1: now this is this is the first day of PAX it's Friday um, this is the only day you're going to be here yeah right? unfortunately yeah. I have to okay. leave tonight which I was working at the oink booth all day Friday today uh, tomorrow though is my free day so I'm definitely going to check that one out yeah definitely do I think they have a
2: giant version of it oh, in, the, fun. <laughs> in the in the, the giant games area it into a dexterity game as well uh, in some ways, <laughs> I, you have to lift the giant robot right. and put him on a board. Um, so, that, yeah, definitely check that out. I, I wish I got to see the, the giant version. I love giant versions of games, by the I'm not mad way. at it, yeah. yeah. I was demoing the giant
1: version of Deep Sea Adventure for the majority of today, and that was a blast. And similar to what you said, if you have the wrong group of people playing it, then it's an absolute dud. But we... the the oink booth had that set up, and I immediately jumped in front of it so I could start playing it with people as they came by. Mm-hmm. We were having a blast. We were, you know, making jokes about drowning your friends and how you know it's good to be greedy, but you got to be careful. Everyone was laughing and having a really good time. And I feel like, um, not to pick on my my Friday night game group, uh, when we had played Deep Sea Adventure, it was a bit of a dud because we were all just trying to. It, myself included, overanalyze it and really try to get the most points versus just enjoy the silliness of the game.
2: Yeah, it's it's so interesting um, as as a Euro gamer. Yep. Um, primarily a Euro gamer, and that's not to say I don't play games that are not sure. Euro games. Um, it's much less susceptible to that sort of dynamic. Like yeah. Euro games pretty much play well with everyone, and that's because they. I think they're probably less social, but <laughs> it's fair. Uh, um, it's interesting to have games that just will not play well with a particular group. And it's so hard if you're not playing with gamers to sort of draw them in. Um, so if you're, if you're trying to choose a game for that purpose, you, you choose one of these lighter games. Right. And even with those groups, these games, I feel like, have a 50% like flop rate. so well, it's, it's
1: tough. Over Thanksgiving break, we played a handful of these because most of my family are not gamers. My wife and my son and myself are, but that's about it. So we had brought out things like Cockroach Poker, No Thanks, um, Skull, Second Chance. And the people that did join in when we got them out to the table and were just kind of goofing around and playing them, we were all just laughing and having a good time because it was more about the excuse of getting people together and engaging with each other rather than to sit down and to crunch out the process of how to win this mathy Euro. Yeah,
2: so speaking about sort of lighter party-type games, I, I think the game was called Mondrosity. Okay, uh, this, I don't know this, this one. This was from, uh, from Deepwater Games. Okay. So the guys that are responsible for Welcome 2 mm-hmm. um, and a bunch of roll and rights, really. Yeah. Um, this was sort of like a clever, light party game if you will. So one, uh, one player sort of is leading the game. He's given a card. It's hidden to everyone else and it's a picture of a monster. And there are, there are all sorts of like cute looking monsters and, and um, with all their own unique features and those monsters are something that everyone has to draw. So you have the person that's running the game has the picture of the monster and you have to describe it to everyone else. Oh, okay. And then you're sort of trying to pick, uh, get them to draw as close to that picture as possible, and then picking the person who got as close to that depiction of that monster. Oh, that's fun. Okay. Yeah, and it, it worked really well. I was actually, I was, uh, I was meeting with the publisher, and then like, t- check out this demo. And as I was getting a demo, uh, one of my friends walked by, and I went to shake his hands, and I missed the explanation of the game. <laughs> and having missed half the explanation of the game, I, I go back to the demo of the game, and I picked it up right there. Like it was, right. it was obvious how to play it because it's it was such a simple game, um, that's kind of cool. I love that. Yeah. yeah, it. Not enough good games are able to do that. Yeah. So, anything else on the game
1: floor that you got to play? Or yeah,
2: I got to check out uh, a little bit of Chex Games Edition, their, their latest title, uh, Sanctum. I don't know this so one. Sanctum um, is I feel so out of the loop. No, this year. no, no, no. This is sort of. <laughs> Their, this is why we come here, though. Their spiritual successor to uh, Adrenaline. Okay. So Adrenaline, oh, yeah. Adrenaline was this game that was inspired by first-person shooters, but but kind of a Euro game, mm-hmm. mid-weight Euro game. Uh, so Sanctum's got the similar type of idea behind it. So it's a, it's a middle-weight Euro game. It's inspired by hack-and-slash RPGs like Diablo. Right. Um Although I think I might like this a little bit better, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> uh, so you you play as I don't know an adventurer or something along the lines of that, um, and all these demons are spawning. Is and this generic
1: fantasy adventure or sci-fi? What? Uh... It, it seems a lot like
2: Diablo or okay, like like they're they're demons. Dark like fantasy. Dark. Fa- it's okay. some sort of dark fantasy, and there's a it, everything's there's demons all over the place, and you have to pick a demon to battle. Okay, I choose you. And it's, it's like dice rolling and you're like trying to mitigate the dice rolls and uh, in doing so you're, you're gaining resources and building an engine um, and sort of leveling up your character and gaining equipment uh, which then makes other battles easier and then the game gets harder and eventually there's there's a ba- boss battle. So oh, cool. So really cool. Again, I mean, the, the publisher's check uh, right. games edition, so they're, they're, they're known for making oh God, yeah. very high-quality Euro games that and, are... like, a few like interesting party games as well. Right. Like, uh, you know, Codenames. Well, Codenames code was theirs, yep. I was just going to uh, say it. And um, I also checked out their, their last one that also fits that bill, uh, Letter Jam. I have heard mixed
1: reviews about Letter Jam. I can't. I... I should go give it a try. I'm finding that with everything that I have heard about it, with the rules explanations, it's just not talking to me. So I don't even know if I'm well, actually going to go down with it.
2: It's a word game,
1: right? That's already. That's. that's, negative that's uh, point. Do you like word games? Yeah.
2: Word games are not my cup of tea. So right. like, uh, so it's, it's it's probably not my cup of tea. Sure. Uh, but I appreciate it. There's there's not enough good word games. Mm. It's, it's so funny, uh, playing modern board games, we often talk about, I don't know, Monopoly, it's kind of old school, right. there, there are better games out there, um, Risk, there are better games out there. Scrabble. Scrabble is words. not the case. It's pretty much the consensus of the gaming community that Scrabble is the best word game ever made. We really enjoy, I'm
1: going to forget, uh, there's, there's two games by Tim Fowers who did Burgle Brothers and stuff like that. Uh, Paperback paperback and Hardback. hardback. Yep, exactly. And I'm trying to remember which one came first. I think it was Paperback. I I believe that is right. Yes, Yes. yeah. Paperback came first. And Paperback and Hardback are both such different games that there is room for both of them in someone's collection. It really depends on how you like manipulating things Mm -hmm. and how you like to, whether you want to be building your deck or you really want to be able to maneuver the letters that you're getting. And If you like building your deck more, then paperback is going to be better. But if you like manipulating what you have in front of you, then hardback is probably
2: going to be a better choice. I'm not sure Letter Jam fits that bill either. It's it's that's more that's more of a deduction game. It's isn't more it? it's more of a deduction yeah. game. It's almost like Hanabi with yeah.
1: with with letters. Yeah, which I was not a fan of. So I, 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 I shame. could shame. I could do Hanabi.
2: I could do Hanabi.
1: I see the appeal in it, and I, I I actually respect the hell out of the design. Like it's really well made. It's very clever. It just didn't speak to me. I tried playing it a handful of times and I I never had fun playing it, which that's going to be a recurring theme, I think, for me in this podcast is you're going to hear me often say I respect the game, but it wasn't fun. And that to me is the cardinal sin. Like, we're here to sit down and enjoy the process and enjoy the event. And if the game doesn't facilitate that,
2: then it's okay, but it's kind of a failure for me. Right. And you know what? Games are some games are not for everyone and that's okay for oh, sure that's okay so but yeah i think it's it's important to respect that it might be for someone else
1: absolutely yeah i am definitely never going to tell someone you should never play this game just because
2: i didn't have a good time with it yeah. especially tons of gatekeeping within the the yeah. board gaming community and i'm not about that no you no know? no i have, i
1: have no desire to tell you how to enjoy your your time away.
2: Having run the Oink game uh, demos, do you have any interesting uh, feedback there? Any highlights from from the Oink games booth? So I've always been a big fan of Deep
1: Sea Adventure by Oink. That has regularly been one that I would enjoy bringing out and trying to put on the table and trying to get people to play. Um, My group didn't really care for it all that much, but it never really changed how I felt about it. There you go, showing other opinions of other people. It's fine. Um, We had the large version, the deluxe version, mm-hmm. which is really just for demo purposes only. Everyone that walked up kept asking, how do I get the big, giant version of this? And we're like, yeah, this one's just for the demo. But yeah, I ran probably five to ten games of that, and every time we were going and playing, I was you know going through the rules, teaching people how to play, and then they start going through and actually taking their turns, and everyone's just having a blast. People are laughing, people are clapping, we're all having a good time making jokes about drowning your friends and being greedier than the next person and turning around and letting people hang themselves, which with the style game it is, with it being the type of press your luck where you can actually turn around halfway through and leave everyone to hang themselves, it's just hysterical when it's done well. We did have a couple of games where (laughs) for the first two rounds, no one scored anything. I had one demo where we played all three rounds and nobody scored a single point, which can happen with that game. It's just the nature of, because the maximum you can actually roll is a six, which is fairly difficult to do in the game, and your movement is reduced by the number of treasure chips you're holding, it's possible sometimes that you're just not going to move. And that it can be a bit of a buzzkill, but if you have the right group together and the right mindset, you're still laughing, you're still having fun. So that one is that's always a recommendation
2: of mine. If people want to give that one a shout. Right. And for our listeners who may not be familiar with Oink Games, Oink Games is probably one of the most prominent uh, Japanese board game publishers um, in in the Western world. Yep. Uh, so they they're pretty well imported into you know the U.S. and you know Western European countries. Uh, they're, they're small box designs for the most part. I was part. just going to say it. Yep. Uh, minimalistic, um, beautiful art. Minimalist art, too, as well. Sure. Like, the
1: box itself is a very small, I think it's like a two-inch by one-inch by three-inch. Like it's tiny, tiny. It's about the size of a business card. Mm-hmm. Um, every single game they make fits in one of those, with the exception of a couple, which is basically just double that size. That's their big box versions. Right, and everything has a price point of like twenty dollars, unless it's the big box, and that's thirty, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like their whole business model is just we're gonna put the bi- most amount of game into the smallest amount of boxes we can. It was the Tiny Epic series before the Tiny Epic series.
2: <laughs> oh, those Japanese hipsters! Oh, I know,
1: mm-hmm. ahead of the curve every time. Mm-hmm. Um. I also got to demo their new game, and I'm going to probably pronounce it poorly, but here we go. Uh, It's called Fanfur, F-A-N-F-I-R, if I remember right. Uh, I'm, man, I'm really digging this game. It is a two-to-four-player game with blind bidding and auctions, which normally I just despise. Anytime there's blind bidding, yeah, I know, you're making the face. If someone tells me, hey, you should play this game, it's a really good version of blind bidding, I typically know that I'm not going to have the best time. It's it's not going to be my go-to, whether or not I enjoy it. But um, I was a little hesitant with this one because of that. Ended up sitting down, learning it this morning, had to do a bunch of demos, and the more I'm playing it, the more and more I'm really loving this game. So essentially what happens is at the beginning of the game, everyone at the table gets 10 little hex cubes behind their screen that remains hidden from other players. And there's a chicken in the center of the table. And on the chicken are two more of those little hex cubes as well as a single victory point. That's what the chicken has laid for that turn. We're all going to go in and do a blind bid to see who wins what the chicken laid. And it's fairly normal rules for this. Whoever bids the most is the one that actually wins what the chicken provided. What I love about this game, though, is how it treats this cube economy. It's a closed system. So if I end up bidding, let's call it four cubes of different colors, those cubes go into this little display area. The whole purpose of the display area is twofold. The primary purpose of it is to determine the end of the round. The secondary purpose of it is just to kind of give people an idea of what cubes have been removed from the system which is really important because you need to know what's still available and potentially behind people's screens. Because at the end of the round, you're going to flip everybody's screen over and count up all the cubes that are in front of people of the different colors. Whatever color there's the most of, those are each going to be worth three points. The next most is all going to be worth two points. Everything else is going to be worth minus one point. What ends up happening is as the display fills up, you're getting a better idea of what's going to be more valuable, what's less valuable. The less valuable stuff you can actually use more to bid with because you don't want it behind your screen. So you end up paying more and getting less from the chicken because the chicken's always only going to give you two cubes. So at the end of the round, everyone's left with a handful of cubes. They grab their points. And the next round starts. The first person to 40 points wins the game. I'm just, I'm really, really enjoying how the that closed economy of those cubes works. That sounds really interesting. It reminds me a lot of um, Irish Gage, how that system just slowly depletes of the cubes and then starts to come back. Uh, those were the two that I was primarily demoing. Everything else is probably, if you're familiar with Oink, then you're familiar with the other games that we would have gone over. I didn't get to do much other than hang out at the Oink booth today since I was working that. Saturday is going to be my day to run around and actually playtest other games. So that was, I only got to play a handful of games while I was at the booth because I was really just demoing everything. Um, although right now we were going to end up talking about Pipeline by Capstone Games. This was what we had originally planned for just kind of doing our bigger deep dive into sure. today.
2: Do you want to give us a little bit of a lowdown on the game? Yeah, so we, talk, we talked about it briefly at the last episode, yep. but the idea, it's a, it's a heavy economic game. Uh, Definitely more of like a Euro game than like City of the Big Shoulders, which we also discussed the previous episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the idea is you all are uh, a private oil company and you are trying to make the most money as as an oil company. Uh, You start out with crude oil, which you refine into higher and higher grades of oil. Uh, And there is a market in which you're trying to buy that crude oil uh, and, and sell it at a higher price. And you're building this network of pipes to allow you to um, convert that oil into a higher grade oil as well.
1: And this is one of the Capstone games where it starts off very much the way I like. I love the arc of you start with basically nothing and you have to essentially build an empire out of it. Lignum does this as well, which you know how I feel about that game. (laughs) So uh, with Pipeline, you start, like you said, with $40 and I think what, three or no, uh, four tanks to hold your oil in. That seems about right. And that's it. Then it's go time. Considering every single thing on the board costs a minimum of, if I remember right, $10, that $40 goes really quick. Some of the oil is, is, is certainly You're cheaper, right. Like the crude oil. Yep. I was thinking, like, pipes and machines and upgrades and all that kind Just of stuff. Just the good stuff. The good stuff, yeah, yeah. The stuff that makes it fun. <laughs> Ignoring, you know, <laughs> wanting to develop oil, the whole point of the game. I, I like the toys. It's a good game. It's, yeah. it's, it's one of the top games of the year. This... We were talking about that last time. This might still be the top of my list. It's it's really close, but I think this
2: might end up taking it. Yeah. It's one of them for me. Right. Um, th- this is a game that I, I will continue to enjoy for years, I think. This one has
1: had a, a weird dichotomy for me because I've, we tried to pull it back out the week leading up to PAX because I wanted to get another play in before leaving to talk about it. And I found myself almost being bipolar about it. Like there was, I would go through moments of, I desperately want to play this game. I will throw it on the table and get it set up in 15 minutes if I can. To the other side of that coin where a couple minutes later, uh, you couldn't have convinced me to play it at all. It's, it was very odd for me because I do enjoy the game. And if it was there and ready to play, I would instantly be playing it. I just need to be in the right mindset to
2: do it. Does that have to do with the setup?
1: Partially, fifteen minutes
2: seems a little quick for me. There's there are a lot of tiles you have to lay. out Yeah, in this game.
1: and fi- like if I can get that game set up in fifteen minutes, I'm doing something right with my life. So <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. was more. Um, it's it's not as much the setup. It is more. I, I have to be in the right frame of mind to be able to tackle this game. I think that's yeah, that's my, true the heart many of many games. Team. Many games. Oh God, yeah, yep. This one is where I feel it the most though. Interesting. Yeah. So there's a lot going on with this game. I kind of wanted to break it up into more digestible chunks to talk about. I was going to start with the rulebook itself. Let's do it. Go for it. Or you want me to.
2: (laughs) I don't don't, don't have the rulebook in front of me. (laughs) No, neither of us do. That would be smart. Let's sort of just go through the game as you would in the rulebook. Uh, So the first part of the game is the refresh phrase. We'll, We'll skip that. That's only once you've been playing a little bit. Uh, the game is broken out into, I believe, was it three years? Correct, yep. three years, and which was kind of neat because the years were the first year is longer than the second is longer than the third. Right. So as as the game progresses, things get tighter. Yep. But you're able to do more as it goes through. So as you're just starting out, you're not going to be refreshing things. That's, right. That's once the game has progressed a little bit, you'll you'll re- refresh the resources, and then there's the work phase. So work phase is where the majority of, of the game takes place. These are all the various actions you can take. Uh, so in the center of the board there's sort of this, this crisscross where you have your meeple and the meeple can take any of those crisscross actions. So uh, if you imagine an X and each one of those there's four lines that compose the X mm-hmm. each one of those lines has two actions on it. Right. So you could take one action and then you have the option of paying an additional fee and taking the adjacent action. So those actions are, they're things like buy from the two different markets below. Mm -hmm. They're buy from the crude oil market up on top. There is the contracts and loans, so you can either take a loan um, and get one of those red cubes. Those are delightful, right? God. (laughs) So you get some money, which will help you in right now, but you're gonna lose money in the long run. Uh, because you can't repay loans, really, you get those red cubes, and there's no way to get rid of them. Yep. They just—it's like you accumulate debt, and it never disappears. Um, there is the tanks and pipes, so that enables you to purchase uh, tanks so you could store more oil in your uh, in your company, and then pipes, so you're building out your network of pipes mm-hmm. to refine your oil. It's not the only way of getting pipes, because you can also get pipes from another action, which isn't one of the criss-cross no. action spaces. It's, it's just another action you can take. There's this the government pipes. Uh, these pipes are a little bit cheaper, but they don't really refill ever. ever. And only certain... Ones are going
1: to be available each year of the game. Correct. So they're, they're sort of like which is they're broken out into four quadrants. There's a lot available, but it's a little more restrictive. If you had your eye on one in like the third area, but the third area doesn't open up in the first year, then right. you have to wait. Yeah. For the
2: most part, you're going to be trying to get stuff from the government pipes, yeah, and but you're going to en- you're going to end up also getting from the other areas as well. Um, then there's the the upgrades, which are just kind of like. Very different aspect of the game. It's they're they're like they're like powers. That's it, this is where,
1: if there was an argument to be made that there was any asymmetry in the game, this is where it comes in. You basically get to purchase the asymmetry you want for your company, whether that is getting free pipes at the start of every round or year, or getting free machines. Uh, making government tiles cheaper, things like that. It it affects the company that purchases them. Also, with this, you get to purchase... I'm trying to remember if you can only purchase one or if you get to purchase two. Purchase two. Purchase two. And then after you've made that purchase, you can optionally block out a third upgrade so that other players won't be able to purchase it that year. Effectively, just putting a stop sign up in front of anyone's plan that was really eyeballing it. Right.
2: So this... Gets really cutthroat it in the can, upgrades, yep. um, so it, it's it's an interesting dynamic thrown into the game because it's it's you're, you're rushing in some ways to get like that, that better yep. upgrade, um, and play order matters, and the the order of your action matters, and it's very very interesting. And I've seen a lot of people on BGG
1: comment that they really don't like the aspect of blocking out a third upgrade, but the, it does mention in the rules if you if anyone hasn't caught it. Uh, that you may do that it's not necessary i think it's very interesting and it's definitely advantageous a lot of times but if i know it's absolutely going to ruin someone's night i usually don't do it so (laughs) i think there's there's something to be said to be able to just mitigate that
2: on your own yeah i think my wife hated it because my my wife yeah um very much dislikes harming other players my wife and i are both care bears when it comes to games so and i'm 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 different. Like I'm, a, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm competitive. So if I'm if right. I'm given an option, like I'm, I'm gonna prevent you from I'm, from, from right. you know. You're here to optimize your right. gameplay, and that's part of it. It's just the game, gameplay. guys. Right. It's cool. It's cool. Um, <laughs> we'll all be friends at the end. Yeah. Um, so the last action, again, not on the crisscross, is running your own personal pipe network. Yep. And this is
1: where you place your meeple, rather than in that intersection in the middle, you place it on your own network. And any ti- or I'm sorry, any pipes that the worker is touching, all
2: get to refine oil. Yeah. So the, the way this looks works is there, you have these various tiles and they they interconnect. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's different colored pipes. There's also different colored cubes, right? Yeah. Uh, so the the different colored pipes, uh, they'll all divide up and they'll cut each other off into different segments, uh, and you sort of count the number of segments that the oil consecutively runs and at the very beginning of the game you're setting sort of for each color cube, each type of oil how many segments is required to refine it each level.
1: And that's set up randomly at the beginning set of the game. Set up randomly. Yep. Which, and, and man, I love that aspect of yeah, it too because it's not just a static it's always going to be three to refine at the first step, four to refine right. at the next step. It it's, could be seven for the first step and four for the second which... You you just need to evaluate what pipes are going to be worth it to you
2: to actually manufacture through. Right, and you know, first of all, uh, you need to consider what pipes are available for purchase. Right, you need to consider what you're going to make when you sell these oil, sell this oil whether or not you're going to be able to add them
1: effectively to your pipeline network itself because you can always get that one that has, you know, three orange bits to it, right. but you might not have anywhere to put it that's actually beneficial. Right. And
2: you may easily be able to refine it two steps, but that right. third step becomes very difficult. Uh, so there's there's sort of a lot to take in yep. and think about when you're when you're selecting your tiles and, and creating your pipe network. And it's challenging. So from there in the rule book then it talks about the end of the game, which basically the end of the
1: game happens when you've played through all the rounds. There's 18 rounds in the game which means 18 actions. You may get bonus actions to run your machines at the end of a turn, but again, that's going to cost you more money. And it is difficult to make money initially in this game. so you might you're definitely not going to get 36 actions, but you might get you know 24 to 25 if you're doing well. Well, we should probably
2: talk about machines. So machines are a way of increasing efficiency. Right. Right. Um, so instead of running your pipes as you normally would... By with, placing your meatball. Yep. You can you can put these machines on. And the way the machines work is, one, they'll, they're, they're sort of bad in a way because they'll cut off a pipe network, but they... When you have enough of a pipe network that it doesn't matter as much, they sort of auto run if you pay a certain number of money during the machine phase, which right. happens after this this sort of main action phase. Uh, so, if you have the money to sort of fund it, which you should, if you have all these machines and Ideally. you're constantly you're, you, you keep running them, right? Uh, then it's it's sort of like an extra action the way you're generating money via your, your pipe network. Well, you're you're refining the oil, so right. on the next Sorry. turn you can sell. True, yeah, true, no, true. no, you're fine. I just, um, so we, we didn't really talk about other ways of, of making money. We talked about selling oil, but there's also the idea of, of contracts and orders. Yep, which I was more just kind of running. I was going to actually talk
1: about um, when I brought up the rule book. I wasn't necessarily going to go through it step by step. I really wanted to talk about um, the layout of it. This is a great, great rule book. And I don't think rule books get enough credit when they're really good. They get a lot of gripe when they're really bad, but... Not enough of a spotlight is shown when they are good examples of how to write a complex game rulebook. I don't have the physical rulebook in front of me, but you no, know, it's, I think it's only like four or five pages long. It's not long, but, and the setup is a full two-page spread with full color graphic, and it's very clear. Everything is outlined, so and that's that's a solid chunk of the rulebook just right there. So there's not a ton of overhead to actually go through the rules, it is trying to put all of that together to actually play the game where the complexity comes from, which I really appreciate about this game because you can sit down, you can read the rules, and you are prepared to play this game. doesn't mean you're going to do well, but <laughs> you,
2: you know what you're doing going into it. Right. Another thing I actually like about the rule book is they, and other games do this, but they sort of specify if this is your first game, like these are sort of the modifications right. you should make. Uh, so we, we talked about when you set up the game, you you pull out these tiles with numbers on them that mm-hmm. dictate what it what's required when you run your pipes to upgrade to your oil, the oil to another yep. level. Um, and they go up to, I forget, is it six or seven? I think,
1: yeah, so it's normally seven, and I believe there's chips that say eight that okay. are available, but they recommend not using so them you, for the first game. So you
2: remove whatever, whatever's the highest value right. chip. Right, it's seven or eight, Yeah. But. And as you can imagine, that makes things a lot easier. Okay, and yeah. you, you sort of get to understand the strategy a little bit better than you add them in later on. Right.
1: There's also valuation cards that are put into the game. These are basically the end game scoring bonuses, which if you're not paying attention to them, you're not going to win the game at all. But they do have a recommended setup for first time players. They I forget which ones exactly go into it, but they're, they're kind of the most straightforward to score. I forget as well, but it was it was like the, the length of your pipes right. like, like, along the lines of that. Like... How many barrels of oil you have right. left over at the end of the game based on how much they've been refined, stuff like that. They're, There's also more complex ones that can be used and shuffled in for later gameplay, but again, they, they did it so right with letting people know where to begin with this game, because otherwise it, it could have so easily just been overwhelming out of the gate for people. And by people, I mean me. So
2: <laughs> <laughs> Same. Uh, can we just take a step back and, and talk about the, the table presence and the art of yeah, this game? Yeah, absolutely. Like, oh my god. And
1: so apologies to the listener, because we are not going to necessarily review Ian O'Toole artwork every single episode. It just so as well, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it is gorgeous. Like on the I, table, everything pops. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a gorgeous game. And graphic design is just spot on. Everything is legible, everything is clear, everything is in front of you. There's very rarely any need to reference back to the rule book for anything that is should be on the board. Whatever should be is. Yeah, component quality's there
2: too. Yeah, absolutely. Like the we're talking thick cardboard. Did you uh, get the version with the metal cubes? No, I'm I'm on retail, but yeah. <laughs> same Uh, but honestly the the retail version is really really nice I'm
1: I'm a bigger fan of wooden components than plastic anyway so I think they were genuinely metal cubes though if you went with the deluxe version which pretty nice
2: I'm okay with metal cubes yeah that's nice Uh, (laughs) but if you you miss the kickstarter you don't want to throw the extra money at it uh, you you do get wooden cubes and the wooden cubes
1: are really really nice And even if you end up getting the upgraded version, I believe you still end up getting the wooden cube. So you get to choose your preference even better. I love options. Can't go wrong. Right. Since we're talking about the game board and the presence though, like you said, stunningly gorgeous. It is a real estate hog. We have our, the table we game on when we put the leaf in it is an even five foot by five foot square. This game takes up that entire table there's the the game board in the center is massive. Each player has their own player board where they have their tanks and their oil that they're upgrading. And on top of that, every player also has their own pipe network, which is really be, where things get out of hand. Exactly. Right, right. Because that can be as simple as, well, I really only have, you know, my three pipe tiles, but there's other players that are going to make that, you know, I have my 30 pipe tiles and it's, Spanning the entire length of the table, right. and that that could go in any direction. Right. I, I'm not mad at it in this game though, because it, to me, like the sprawling pipeline, it's more amusing than it is frustrating. Yeah. It's it's sort of like having uh, a side game of Carcassonne next to right. like a, on an already <laughs> large
2: game. This
1: own, your own little spatial puzzle right, going right. on while you're trying to optimize this euro. Ooh. What
2: do you think about those those orders and contracts? That's sort of an interesting.
0: We should answer. talk about that.
1: We should. It's, it's um, important
2: for scoring. Very. So during the game, uh, you have the
1: opportunity to grab contracts. When you do, you either you're basically making a statement of "I promise I will fulfill this contract this year and every year going forward." Or I will start fulfilling this contract starting next year and every year after. Right. So you, you defer the contract right, for the next year. Which, but, then, but then you're stuck doing it in the in subsequent years. Which you have to. And every time you fulfill the contract, obviously that oil is spent back to the supply and you start fresh. Which, if you're not making enough off of those contracts, then it's really hard to resupply yourself with the oil you need to refine to sell back to the same contract over right. and over again. I think when we played it, no one had more than three contracts by the end of the game. And I think at most, they had one, maybe two at the end of the
2: second year. Yeah. So I haven't, and I'm not sure I've solved this aspect of the game as, as much as right. I would like. The interesting thing with this is uh, usually you make a little bit less with the contracts than if you were to sell them to the market, but it's not really an action, right? Like you're, you're, right. you, you save, a, save an action. It's a free
1: action, essentially,
2: yeah, yeah, at so the end of your turn. Yeah, so you're selling your, uh, your oil without having to take an action, so you, you get to do more on your turn. Uh, so there's there's an action optimization aspect to it, even though you're making a little bit less. Sometimes it's
1: worth it to make that little bit less so that the following turn, you don't have to go to the market to sell. You've right. already sold. Now you can turn that money into either more oil, more machines, yeah. upgrades, etc.
2: What happens if you do not fulfill that contract, Adam? Oh,
1: then you get those fancy little red debt cubes. Oh, and those red cubes. They, they, Oh, I, I love when games have a sense of humor, and I feel like this is one that just does it in spades. The Little Red Cubes, most games, when you get a penalty cube, each one is kind of a static value. Like, it might be minus 5, minus 10, but every single one is worth the same. Right. Not in Pipeline. These go up exponentially, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but, like, the first one's, like, negative $20 or something like that. Right. The next one's 50 then negative 100, and they just go up and up. And I think if you have, like, seven or eight of them, you're, like, in the negative $1,200 range, which is just <laughs> just ridiculous.
2: Yeah. You probably will take some of these, but you yeah. want to avoid taking too many.
1: Well, and like, a lot of good economic games, it's in your interest to take debt early on. Right. You can really benefit from it in this game. Again, with money being so, so tight here... To have that little bit extra in the beginning, you take the loan, you get the extra money, and you take the red debt cube, and it just hovers there. There's no way to get rid of it throughout the rest of the game. It's just there as a reminder that the Iceman cometh.
2: Might I add, when you take a loan, I think you're only getting, like, $15, so, like, it is not a large loan. No, it's not, which... uh, depending
1: on occasion like if you take a loan you might be gaining more debt than you are cash on hand Absolutely. like very easily after like the second or third cube so and more often than not you're not going to take them from taking debt you're or i'm sorry from taking a loan you're more going to get them from not fulfilling a contract later on right. so it's not like anyone's choosing to do that unless they're super desperate for cash right now so that's a contract what what's an order that is a really good question. I'm going to let you go through the orders because yeah, I don't remember specifically that. So order, <laughs> orders
2: are not. Uh, so orders are available to everyone. They're the same idea as a contract. Yeah. Uh, so oh, they they, yep, they are. There are you have you need certain cubes in order to fulfill them. You fulfill them. Yep. And you sell the cubes for whatever the price it indicates is. Right. Uh, but instead of taking them and if you don't fulfill them, you you accumulate debt. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's sort of like a race to to grab them on the board. So you. Uh, These are like the achievements of the game. They're like achievements, yeah. yeah. They're another way of, uh, of earning money without selling them. Yeah. Uh, and you, you place them on the board, you fulfill them, you get you earn whatever it says, uh, but without the risk of taking debt. I believe that this one is an action, yeah. Right.
1: So, so you have to, well, like an action is, you have to manually move your meeple there. The downside of that, obviously, is you only get the 18 actions in the game. So valuing those actions, do you actually take the time to commit to that race of fulfilling an order? Yeah, it's, it's, the decisions of this game are, are great. They're agonizing. <laughs> All great games are agonizing. Right. There's a, there was a saying at one point, I forget who it was, but it essentially was, a good game shouldn't hurt your brain, it should hurt your gut. Because if it was something that you could just math out, there's no decision there. But if it's your gut that's hurting, it's because there's just not a good decision either way, and you need to trust your instinct about it. And this is, I feel like this is a game
2: that can do that. I like that in theory, but then I give you Terra Mystica and Gaia Project. (laughs) And, uh, oh, we'll talk about Terra
1: Mystica and Gaia Project right. and Plans of Caledonia one day. There's that's a conversation. Absolutely. <laughs> um,
2: how'd you feel about the playtime though? Playtime's unbelievably awesome. It can be. What do you? I've I've had these games are short, Adam.
1: When so my wife and I played a two player game of it that went smooth. We were done with that in probably ninety minutes, not including setup and teardown and all that, right. but just actual gameplay ninety minutes for two player Euro of this. Wait. I was thrilled with that. When we played it four-player, granted this was a teaching game, or I'm sorry, a learning game, and the first time we had played it, I want to say it ran close to four hours of actual gameplay, not including setup and teardown.
2: Yeah. I've uh, So I've, I've played it at various player counts. Yeah. And uh, so I, my first game was a four-player game, and that, that took a long time. Yeah. Actually, most of it was probably setup, but... Uh, some secret plays. It's been short. Yeah. We're, we're under three hours usually. It does tighten up with the more plays that you
1: have of it. It's It can be really prone to AP though because you do get stuck in those decision trees of, well, I can go and I can get more pipes and then on my following turn because I know Jimmy's not going to want to do this, I'll be able to go over and do this. But I could also go and grab that contract because I see Jeff eyeballing this contract and I really want to grab that before he right. doesn't, et cetera, et cetera. And you can get down these paths that just
2: freeze you. Definitely a high AP game. If, if, you, are, it, yeah. if you are you prone to analysis paralysis, uh, maybe that's a reason to, to skip it. Yeah. One of the other
1: things I really liked about this game was, and slightly going back to like the graphic design of the game board, stuff like that, you could always tell everything you needed to tell from the game state. Just glancing at the board, I knew exactly how much oil was available, how much it was always priced, what tiles were available, what tiles were cut off because of the round, and a good game will always be able to do that. You'll just be able to glance at the board and read it like a book. Anything you don't like about the game? There's a couple small things that I didn't care for, and these, this is because you've asked. This is me declaring to the world I am being nitpicky right now um the the amount of real estate that it takes up I again like I said before I do find it really amusing however it can be problematic we did find a handful of times that we had to kind of move things around things need to be shuffled a little, little bit just to to make everything fit comfortably for everyone and it's not a small table that it was going on so I People just need to be aware of that going into it. You're not going to be able to grab, like, the folding card table and play this game on it. And then the only other real small thing that I... This is so finicky, but really, um, just the small money chits that came with the game. The little cardboard monies. I think they actually work really well, considering how much space everything takes up. I just... I, I have giant hands and... I'm not good at dexterity games, so trying to fiddle with the chips to get change and make change and organize oh it, it. Like I said, it's me being nitpicky. Yeah, I, I, I could totally not disagree more yeah, on that one.
0: <laughs> oh my god!
2: So usually you have these type of economic games, and the you know, it wasn't paper money. I was happy about. Not, yeah, it wasn't paper money. So right? either uh, the game comes with paper money, and it's it's a terrible experience. Yep. Uh, you have some sort of coins, but that doesn't work for these type of games because there's you're, you're dealing in too many coins and they don't stack well. And you're dealing uh, with values that go up into the thousands sometimes. Right. So, so what you, we you end up doing is you, you end up switching them out for poker chips. Which
1: uh, I tried to do, and we ended up using the, the cardboard chits every time
2: we ended up right, playing it. Right. So. Um, in these case, I really like the cardboard shits that they chose. They're, like I said, it was me being nitpicky. Right, I, no. I can't stress that part enough. <laughs> yeah, no, no, uh, You asked, Paul. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, and you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be nitpicky as well. Uh, th- th- this is an amazing game. Uh, there's, there's very little that I, I don't like about it.
1: One other little th- problem I had with it, and again, this isn't anything major, and I don't find it a flaw in the game it's just this is a this is very much a personal preference situation the engine that you're building throughout this game of being able to sell the oil you have to make enough money to buy more oil to upgrade it to sell again that engine was very slow to get started and very methodical and slightly tedious i would have been fine with having 15 turns in a game If that engine had built up a little bit sooner, like I'm willing to sacrifice game time for moving past that initial slog of earning enough capital to make
2: the game work. That's fair. And the one thing that I I, I don't love, and this is really it's a matter of preference that I, I don't I don't jive well with spatial relations games. Oh, yeah. Uh, and there's uh, a You're large spatial, alone. there's a lot of spatial relations to this with, yep. with building your pipes, and I'm, I'm constantly maneuvering those those little tiles and trying to figure out where they both best fit. Uh, and I, you know, I like economic games, but that's, that's like an aspect of it that I just, like, I could deal without, even though the, the pipe system is, is awesome uh, by itself. I just, I, I don't like sort of like moving those tiles around and trying to figure out what the best optimizes. Especially having is. to look across the board, say, "I
1: think that's the one I need," and then on your turn, actually picking it up and right. finding out, "Oh no, that turned left rather than right. I need the one that turns right. Where's that?" Because it is somewhere in the game, right? It might not even
2: be out though. But but again, that's that's a that's a right. preference. Oh sure. Uh, and there's people that you know prefer spatial relations games. So. I'm not mad at them. I do en- I enjoy it to a degree.
1: With this one, I do feel like they did well, at least with, um, and I I understand you said you weren't actually all that mad at it, they did really well with the art assets on this to make it clear, at least trying to look across the board to see the pieces, you could pretty well tell what was going to go where. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, all in all, if that's really the only quote-unquote problems we had, and they're not even problems, they're preferences for us, please bear that in mind, Um, where do you rate it?
2: Ooh, uh, what's our what's our scale? We have not discussed the scale. We did we, thumbs last time. We did time. thumbs
1: last time. I'm uh, not sure if I'm sold on the thumbs yet. Uh, we could do
2: thumbs. We could do thumbs. BGG rates on a one to ten. So I would give this game a. Uh, it's like a nine out of ten for me. This is this is a good game. It's solid.
1: You're definitely gonna, well. You've already purchased, but you would have purchased it if you didn't already have it. You'd probably recommend purchasing. I would recommend purchasing. Yeah. Okay. Um, I might be putting it at an 8, only because I I would have a harder time recommending it. I'm still buying it. Well, I already bought you it. You like this game more than I do. I Oh, that might be true. So here, I'm putting it at the 8 because if I didn't own it, I'd be buying it already. I think I would have a harder time recommending it to someone, though, because it can be very prone to AP, and there's a lot of people that aren't going to like a lot of aspects to the game.
2: All right. But, I'm still. I'm just giving this a nine out of ten. It's still that, a solid, game. right?
1: And that's that makes so much sense. And I might even be talking myself out of the eight here because for you're rating it for you, and here I am rating it with other people in mind. So yeah, I'm rating it for others as well. Yeah.
2: I'm just not rating it for people who, you know, <laughs> right.
1: right. If this isn't a game you're going to enjoy, then
2: it's <laughs> we not a game you're going to enjoy. a very fair. But point. I, I think you know the, the, the type of games that. If you like the type of games that are you know you like you like economic games or like heavy games, yeah. uh, you like you know Euro games with with beautiful artwork, uh, this is a game you're going to enjoy. Yeah, and it's not leaving my
1: collection anytime soon, certainly. So yeah, no, you know what? I'm going to amend it. You've convinced me. It's it's a nine. I'm okay, happy we with that. we have an average nine out of ten on Pipeline. Lovely, uh, by Ryan Courtney. I don't think we mentioned that earlier. Ryan so, Courtney, Capstone Games. Yep previous episode we had gone through and done some of our getting to know you and talking a little bit about um just kind of silliness and gaming and things that we enjoy i think we're going to be skipping that for this episode uh paul needs to catch a train to get home i am running on less battery power for the episode so we're going to be closing it up Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. We apologize for the noise in the background. Again, we wanted to be able to do this while we were together because it's probably not going to happen a ton for the listeners. So, uh, Paul, anything you want to leave
2: with? No. Thank you for listening. Uh, Subscribe on iTunes, Google Podcasts, whatever it is you like. Stitcher, Anchor, we're on all of these at this point.
1: Spotify. Go to boardgamesquad.com slash podcast. All of the sub- subscription links are available there. And if you like it, rate it. it. And if you really like it, recommend it to a friend. That's the best way you can actually help us out right now. So this is us signing off, saying we hope your playtime
0: is high and your shelfware is minimal. <laughs> Thanks for playing. Please subscribe so you don't miss the next edition of Board Game Squad. It's boardgamesquad.com slash podcast. I said subscribe. I'm waiting. Seriously? On behalf of Adam and Paul, thanks for tuning in. My name is... Not important, at least to Adam and Paul. Dude, it's your turn. So as as the f- progresses, things get tighter. Yep, but you're able to f- more as it goes through.